0: Welcome to Let's Talk Space Medicine. I'm Kyle Anderson, your medical student slash space nerd host. For your listening entertainment, I gather my other medically inclined space nerd friends to talk all things space medicine. With our powers combined, we have to explore and entertain the medical questions that stand between us and the stars. Today's orbit, space radiation. Don't forget the sunscreen. As a brief disclaimer, anything discussed on Let's Talk Space Medicine should not be considered medical advice and is not a substitute for seeking medical help from a doctor. We are simply interested in entertaining medical topics in the field of space medicine. And today, I'm joined by my good friends Ryan and Vlad, both medical students at Michigan State University's College of Human Medicine and both rising uh, second and third year medical students. And uh, so happy you guys could join me today.
1: Thanks as always for having us. Yeah, it's <laughs>
0: awesome to be here.
1: Cool. Um, so I'm Ryan and like Kyle said, both Vlad and myself are students at the College of Human Medicine in Michigan State over in uh, Grand Rapids. Um, I guess I'll, to say a, a few a tiny thing, tiny few things about myself since I uh, neglected to do so last time. But my kind of personal interests are space medicine in general, uh, naturally, and uh, I kind of tend to see things through the lens of nutrition. I have a master's in nutrition from University of Michigan Public Health um, School of Public Health, and I also just like to think of things from like a psychology perspective. I'm really interested in isolation research in particular on that front. And currently I am taking a year off of med school to pursue research interests. Uh, and I'm focusing on precision medicine using, uh, essentially it's all at home due to COVID, but, uh, doing some really cool work on, on looking into genes and rare, how rare genes might influence things, particularly in the sphere of like space medicine. Go ahead, Vlad, if you want to introduce that yourself. That
2: introduction, I'll follow up. My name is Vlad. It's, uh, I think it's my, uh, my first time being on the podcast, and I feel like I'm really privileged to be here. Um, I, Like Ryan and, uh, and Kyle said, I'm over at Michigan State University, College of Human Medicine, and my interests are primarily with uh, medgenetics and internal medicine. I'm really interested in seeing what precision medicine can do, especially with the adult population. Sweet. And with that in mind... Um, it kind of really starts to fit in pretty well with this uh, topic that we got talking about here today with the uh, solar radiation and long-term effects of that on the on the human genome and kind of cancer development and things of that nature. So I'm really excited to see what we could discuss here.
0: Yeah, i sure. very excited to have another uh, co-host on the show. Um, definitely, you know, this podcast is really an extension of, of uh, my passion for space medicine. So we're always happy to... To find other space nerds out there um you guys are now my space nerd friends officially so you can't you can't take that away um do we get so a yeah, badge Locked uh in. you know what we could you know what? Uh, my, my team is working on it myself
1: glad <laughs> <laughs> your badge is in the mail
0: yeah right. it's in the mail um but tell me uh what you guys have been up to this week and uh what, what kind of uh how you guys are doing lately
1: uh sure i'll go first um I have, like, the, the room that you see behind me is the place where I've, like, hardly left in the, in the last week. <laughs> I just got back from a trip to Chicago to visit my girlfriend out there. Uh, and since then, I, I don't think I've I've left to go. I'm still, I'm still one of the unvaccinated uh, majority uh, currently. So just doing my best to avoid COVID, bunker down in here and... Um, just really starting the research that I mentioned on precision medicine, which be its actually interesting. I—I kind of knew this about you, Vlad, that this was like one of your major career interests was like in that realm. Oh yeah. This for I me has been like—I uh, I, kind of just started with this research as a fortuitous chain of events, <laughs> just kind of let <laughs> let it uh, me into it. So it's not something I thought a lot about before, but I definitely think. I'm gonna have a lot of like things, a lot of interest in common with you going forward from here because it's just an incredibly fascinating world to live in.
2: No, yeah, for sure. Hit me up when you figure out how to write papers because I'm miserable out there. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: talking about so- uh, uh, writing science research or what? Like, what are we talking? Yeah,
2: about it's it's <laughs> rough, dude. But i not like this. I've never written papers before, and I'm trying to write like three different articles, and it's 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 something new figuring yeah, out I, how you want to structure the flow what references you're using if you're not losing the audience who's reading your paper there's a lot yeah, to work on a lot to consider
0: think, uh, science is a language that's foreign to everyone i think it's <laughs> like i don't know who said that but it makes a lot of makes a lot of sense it takes a lot of like you know training to even figure out how to do it well let alone like communicate it or write it well so i think you like that's, I think that's a brick wall that everyone, if they reflect on their career, like, has run into that, because it's just, it's just not, not a natural way, um, for us to like, explain ourselves, or nah. to fit in with the community or to do all the different things, um, within science. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. And no, but I'm actually kind of curious uh, for both of you, like, precision medicines, like say that's your like undying dream to be a precision precision medicine doctor does that mean you're an internist like internal medicine or like can you apply it to every specialty or like what's the like what kind of residencies are you both like kind of eyeing in the future
2: well with me i'm eyeing um there's a program down at baylor it's internal medicine metagenetics metagenetics together so i get to get um i get to sit on both boards and i get to save a year for both uh for both specialties whereas if you would Take the traditional route to med genetics. You would have to do internal medicine, and then after that, you'd have to follow up with the fellowship, which is an extra year. So that's what I'm thinking. What I want to do when I think about precision medicine, I don't think it's like a something that like a single doctor would do. It would be more along the lines of just a kind of like a like um, a, a line of thinking, kind of like a philosophy that doctors would end up incorporating into their practice as new information comes up with risk factors, genetic risk factors, the environments that you're in, what medications would work best for you. So you're going to be having your pharmacist, you're going to be having your cardiologists, your geneticists all working together trying to figure out what is the best pathway to a healthy life for each individual patient, as opposed to looking at a cohort of patients and saying, oh, we see a 95% increase in longevity and like um, 98% reduction in mortality with these kinds of uh screening tools and medications well what do we do with that that percentage of patients that didn't reach that that <laughs> stop us from getting to 100 percent?
1: sure
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think uh i guess my answer to that kyle would be as far as i understand it you could really be any kind of doctor you want to be the the kind of people who would be involved in medical genetics, in my opinion, would be the ones who decided to do research in it. I think uh, I think that in the future we'll have a host of tools that every doctor will be using, um, essentially to screen for for rare genes. You know, just to see if specific people are uh, vulnerable to certain things, if we need special medications for them, and of course. Um, this is going to be pertinent, especially to, medis- or to medicine when it comes to space, because we already have you know, tons of selection filters on who can go. Uh, and if, if any of the viewers, anyone watching this in the future has seen the movie Gattaca, I think you'll kind of appreciate almost, ex- almost explicitly because that's exactly what the movie is about. It's about, uh, you know, only sending the people with ideal genome into space. Uh, we, I, I think that some, some aspects of that film could be a reality once we're able to effectively screen for these things if, if it's not already happening. Um, so, yeah.
2: Of course, you've got to be extremely careful when you're thinking about what is the ideal genome because oftentimes mm. there's going to be so much bias. Yeah. And how yeah, you measure it how you understand and what you think is the best thing to move forward. Oh, if, you're, sure. if you're using an environment with genome, like...
1: We've seen already in uh, medical history where a lot of that's already happened. So I think uh, I definitely have a few things to mention on the topic of, of radiation as well um, when it comes to precision medicine. We'll, we'll probably do that later on.
0: Yeah. I, I think um, you, you both bring up, like, you know, kind of the ability to reach that, uh, like, both the really good positives and the kind of like the dark side of precision medicine um, Kind of in the, <laughs> sa- in the same breath you were like we have that ability to you know to personalize medicine in a way where we're going to be able to reach that like last five percent of people um, um and really just be able to center it around how it's going to be most effic- any medication or intervention is going to be most efficacious for a person and i think anyone in the medical sphere even outside the medical sphere You know, has heard the term patient uh, centric care, and almost every hospital system probably has some kind of banner or some kind of like, you know, newsletter that says we really care about patient centricism, and you know we really care about patient decisions and all that kind of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, actually, this um, it's kind of uh, serendipitous because during a conference i went to this past week um precision medicine was one of them was a main topic in regards to space medicine so there was actually a talk um given by um the human research program uh which is like a umbrella under nasa that deals with everything related to how you know healthy and happy and how um how well astronauts perform in space and one of the things that they, this person talked about was essentially how precision medicine will be kind of pioneered in the space field to start and then, you know, incubated there and developed in a number of different ways that, frankly, I probably don't understand. Um, and, it, and then it'll be transition. It'll, it'll be one of these NASA spinoffs that um, like really being able to hone precision medicine Um, let's start there and kind of transition away from that. And I was like, that, that's, that was one of the coolest ideas I would heard in a while. Um, Actually, you know,
1: Kyle, I feel like you were spot on, uh, with this being a spinoff and I'll I'll briefly mention why, mention my case for why I think that the whole, the whole crux of precision medicine is looking at these, uh, essentially looking at people who are rarities genetically, Right. Uh, we all, every, every individual, you know, we have millions of genes that we vary between, you know, just person to person. Uh, and, and I might have a handful of genes that are rare in a sense that I'm somehow vulnerable to a d- disease. And this happens all the time. There are all sorts of a gene, a, a single genes, for instance, that can, you know, if you have a messed up version of that gene, suddenly you have this disease that you have to deal with for your whole life, but the mere fact that these are rare genes makes them from a consumer standpoint not a very viable, you know, answer for a major pharmaceutical company or like a medical technology company to kind of mass produce because it's by definition a problem of the minority. In other words, not very cost effective for a ton of r and uh, funding. So what, I I think I think you're spot on though cuz uh Space, space obviously will have a very good, the, the space sphere will have a great use for that kind of um, precision medicine, focusing on individual astronauts and their needs before sending them along missions. It's
0: a very crucial thing. So I get, but, but yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Bob. Yeah. Uh,
2: I, just I just wanted to also just add a little, a little bit, bit more complexity because oftentimes, like, like, yes, some, some of these, um, Polymorphisms, single nucleotide polymorphisms, mm-hmm. is what they're called. It's just that a base pair, like an A-T, C or G, is changed to something else. Um, those are oftentimes rare; like you won't see one. You'd, you'd see one mutation in many millions of people, right? But the, the, the fact of the matter is, when you look at certain populations who are who smoke cigarettes or who are exposed to like your high-fat, high-carb American diet, and you're wondering why do some people Develop diabetes, and why do some people not develop diabetes? Or why do some people get lung cancer from smoking 30 pack year? Have after smoking tobacco for 30 years, versus some people only smoking tobacco for five years, they end up getting lung cancer. Why is that the case? By all means, the person who smoked tobacco for 30 years should have gotten lung cancer, but never did. And a way to help explain or kind of tease apart why that's occurring is through precision medicine. There may be some kind of unique little mutation in there that's either protective or makes you really susceptible to these kinds of diseases, diseases that plague all people in, in, in the world today. I'm, and one of the papers that I'm hoping to uh, help on is actually trying to convince people why they should care more about um, kind of uh, genetic, gene- genetic variants, which is what's uh, a part of. Um, precision medicine, why some, what is this variation amongst people and why, do, why should we care about it? It's because of the fact that some people are at higher risk for common diseases like diabetes, lung cancer, cardiomyopathy. And through understanding and teasing apart what these mutations are, then we can get a better understanding of what, risk that, what kind of risks that these patients should avoid. Similar to when we're thinking about precision medicine in space, right? the stakes are so high for an astronaut. You have to go <laughs> yeah. through all this training, you have to spend all this money, and then you have to fly off into space and that's millions and millions <laughs> of dollars spent on that. You don't you want, want to find, find out 10 years, years into a Mars mission that our astronaut or cosmonaut here has uh, risk factors for coronary artery disease and is now getting impacted by solar radiation which causes coronary, uh, causes coronary artery disease. For and sure. only need to find out this person has a heart attack. You know, 15 years into the Mars mission. You're like, oh well, that was our engineer that was necessary for developing <laughs> our air purification system. Yeah.
1: We're gonna get another one. <laughs> yeah, dude, I so. love how I love how we like only just started and we we can't even like we've already come so far away from from radiation <laughs> going down the precision medicine route. But I promise, I I promise. And just like that little example that Vlad just gave uh, gave us. Uh, I, this this will this will pay. Up. There will be a large payoff at the end of this. this we'll all tie back into radiation. <laughs> no, no <laughs> I That's that's
2: exactly the thing. Is the paper, one of the papers that I wanted to share today was, is talking about how um, solar radiation uh, the, the mechanisms of uh, how solar radiation causes coronary artery disease. And if you <clears> put someone <throat> who's at risk for developing coronary artery disease because they have some mm-hmm. um, variant. Some kind of uh, mutation in their system. That's 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 a recipe for disaster. Now it is uh, though. Kind of <laughs> like take a step back on it and feel I, I feel be a little bit depressing about it. It's kind of sad to know that in high stakes scenarios for astronauts, that's where we feel the necess- necessity to kind of explore these um, <laughs> variants. Whereas you know we have such a large populations of people who are being affected to this day. And, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to see that you know organizations are not allocating those kinds of resources to help get a better
1: understanding. We'll hope. I mean, we'll definitely hope that here on Earth we we figure these things out. Uh, you know, and our and and that's the way that it should be. You're right. It absolutely should be like a focus right now. And I and I think it is. I think it. I think it certainly is. It's catching on. At least from my perspective, it seems to be. Uh, but there's no reason. And this is something I always like to fall back on when it comes to justifying space stuff. There's no reason we can't do both at the same time, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so, NASA and whoever else will be looking into this stuff on the space industry side of things, uh, they'll be doing it regardless of whatever else the field of medicine is doing. And if if they happen to come up with an answer for this uh, to you know kind of mainstream precision medicine sooner, then I mean the consumer or you know the patient, whatever which way you want to look at it they'll have, they'll, they'll
0: eventually get this technology. Yeah, if it, if anyway. it makes you, uh, both of you guys feel any better. Um, so my work is in bone biology and uh, kind of implant biology and, and orthopedics. And um, orthopedics is definitely, has a reputation for it, them being kind of uh, cavemen and don't really do that that hard of science. and Or actually, I don't know, the, the science is pretty good, but The kind of like you know, (laughs) I don't care, just bone and fix and you know just all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, And one of my personal projects is actually in identifying some of these SNPs in, in uh, patient serum pre and post operation to see, oh wow, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, kind of predispositions into uh, how they kind of react in an inflammatory sense. Towards the surgical insults, so wow. So we're like, like all kind of in the precision medicine sphere. in a see, way. I wouldn't consider my precision medicine at all. I'm just interested. Well, in- I mean, that's
1: the that's like the beginnings right there. Like, if you find something weird and you're like, wait a second, this this person had a SNP, uh, like I, you notice that four people that have a rare SNP, the, uh, the single nucleotide polymorphism that Vlad mentioned earlier, and all four of those people had a negative outcome after surgery or whatever. Suddenly, you're like, wait a second, like. We need to look at this.
2: And it and it doesn't even have to be like the exact same mutation. It's just even recognizing, oh, there's there's this gene or these clusters of genes that are related to surgery like to, to like resistance to surgery insult, you know, to some making some kind of arbitrary mm-hmm. classification of. No. If there are mutations in there that destabilize whatever product that gene makes, makes you more susceptible to a surgical insult. So, so when you go through and you kind, kind of, of, you kind of, of do your, your pre-screening, pre-screening for these patients when you're thinking about doing some kind of uh, surgery on them. You see that there's these mutations that are kind of similarly consistent with destabilizing whatever product it is that you're looking at. you get going to be a little bit more careful when you're evaluating whether or not this patient should get the surgery or not.
0: Yeah, yeah so I think in summary, like precision medicine, like it feels like you know cool. uh, it's gonna it's coming down the pipeline and maybe it's faster or slower than people care or want it to be but it's coming right. It seems like it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's, like it's, it's definitely, definitely, yeah, really, yeah. yeah, if the people at NASA are talking about it, then and they're not like NASA in my opinion is, a, is like an engineering company. It's not really uh, someone at NASA has actually told me this. Like we're are really we're not like a medical community. Like we don't really have the medicine side of things um like at our at our core they're really a bunch of engineers together um and so if they're if they're caring about this through this conference uh i was able to go to um online um then yeah it's it's going somewhere (laughs) (laughs) um but 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 kind of more um into what else they talked about Um, um so here um hopefully everyone can see this um so this conference was the NASA Human Research Program. Uh, I actually spelled this wrong. It's the uh, Investigators Workshop. And it was held last week. And it was the first time I'd really had a good, like a good hard science conference on space medicine. Like it was actually the first time they, they had, uh, you know, biologists, uh, physiologists, um, all sorts of people that do medical research actually there to kind of argue their point and try and figure out um kind of ways forward to increase the human performance in space so it was was really 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 a fun uh conference got to hear a lot of speakers um and all around it was just you know if you want space medicine uh and you want like to actually like learn about the science that's being done uh definitely take you know take a check out on check it out um i think a lot of their youtube videos are posted on the baylor college of medicine site um, but one thing that was brought up that, um, from Orbit 1 was, you know, what are the kind of major risk factors for spaceflight? Just to set a couple ground rules. And I'll just kind of go through this for like a good like 30 seconds, not, not too long. But essentially, um, this was posted by or this was a slide in one of the um, one of the presentations where they go through these uh, five major risk factors in space flight. And so, um, obviously, because it's NASA, they have an acronym. It's kind of their thing. NASA's the acronym. Everything's an acronym. So, uh, here we have uh, RIDGE, and it stands for radiation, isolation and confinement, distance from Earth, uh, gravity fields, and environments. So, these things uh, were brought up in this presentation as uh, kind of medical risk factors that make the job of an astronaut or a flight surgeon difficult to um, kind of combat um, you know certain certain problems and um, we pretty much today we wanted to talk about the first one um, <laughs> and uh, kind of last time we talked about environments gravity fields distance from Earth we, pr- we pretty much covered everything kind of as uh you know here's here's like Hard the, to the, the, do. The, yeah here's the, uh, the the total gambit of all the things that you could you know, even start with on a mission to Mars. But today, uh, we're really focused on radiation. And uh, radiation um, was actually, came up in the news uh, as of today. I think their ears were burning. Um, So Wired (laughs) uh, published an article today at 8 in the morning, it looks like. Nice. On a um how nasa may be wanting to kind of reevaluate um how their radiation limits are set
1: that's super fascinating and so they say in the article which uh, what the level is going to be do they specify or yeah
0: so um they have a nice little fancy picture that they use on most of their (laughs) NASA stuff um but (laughs) this this article what's that
1: that picture is just so cool. Oh yeah, it's, that's a classic ISS picture, yeah. I love that one. Or is that that is the ISS? I think right. Yeah.
0: All right. So I is this like, wild. hmm, what, where would this be? That Where do you think that we'll would think be? It. We'll think on it. You keep talking yeah. about that. <laughs> and I, think on it. I was <laughs> like, I, I love watching the ISS um, like videos of, of Earth. And because it, you know, the ISS kind of comes over, uh, it's at like a uh, 48 degree in, in inclination orbit or something like that. So you actually approach the continents from very like oblique angles. So you have to actually reorient how you look at North America or look at Asia or how you look at, you know, the continent of Africa and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's really fun to figure out like, oh, wait, it's like this is like from a this angle. I don't know. It's, it's super fun. I'm, anyway, I'm going to um, guess that's uh,
2: I'm going to guess that's the Bering Strait.
0: The Bering Strait. Yeah. Okay.
2: I feel I might be completely it could be wrong. Like Sicily. See, no, it's not Sicily. No.
0: So the Bering Strait. That, like, like you think like this seems a little too, I don't know.
2: <laughs> narrow. <laughs> Maybe.
0: I don't know. It could be but anyway, um, we wanted to talk about radiation today, and this comes out on the day that we're recording. So this is, this is pretty pretty awesome. And That's pretty cool. much um, this article uh, wanted to kind of go into some of these red risks um, that NASA's kind of identified and published. And we kind of wanted to talk about some of the different things that are these weird effects that um, Ryan and I talked about last time. And it really wanted to talk about, you know, what is their kind of risk stance, uh, kind of going forward. And so um, they ended up proposing a new limit that would be lower than other space agencies. And um, that it says here, um, they could be exposed up to 1000 millisieverts, which is like a a small unit of uh, radiation. And uh, they wanted to kind of see that like, this was the acceptable uh, risk for a given mission. And so, um, like, radiation is, v- like, the reason I bring up this article is that it, it's, it's very topical. Like, this is, like, probably what space medicine <clears throat> physicians, flight surgeons, people that are doing research probably are most, um, are trying to most, hand, like, handle first, maybe, um, because, you know, it requires, you know, it, it presents the biggest problem, I think, in a lot of people's eyes. And, you know, if you're going to be, you know, on a, if you're going to be sustained, like have a sustained presence, either in Leo, either in on, on the moon or on Mars the fact that it is sustained means that you have to find a mitigating strategy for radiation. And it's nice. just, it's, it's such a, um, it's just, it's a, it's a large problem that is unsolved. It's not like we haven't figured this out. Figured it out. We, we don't, we don't have a
1: figured it out for earth yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and actually, um, one thing that kind of comes to mind is that, um, you know it's kind of what ryan and i talked about um last orbit the idea that like everything is kind of you're in relation to your um your craft like your uh whatever um whatever like you know your spacecraft like your spacecraft provides shielding it provides you know it, it is your house it, you know it, it this is like your craft is going to be the thing that protects you the most from radiation. So also, it's also an it's an yeah. engineering solution. And actually, what was brought up during this conference was which is uh it was called like the backpack problem. Um and so it's like your the backpack that you carry on one of these missions um, has to be optimized to, you know, have certain countermeasures for radiation or countermeasures for these things, but they have weight that comes at a cost that you have to carry and. I thought it was a very um, definitely something to look into further. Um, but these these two people that were talking about risk management really thought of it, um, really used this backpack problem as like the basis for their their like their ability to calculate risk and to um, kind of mitigate risk during uh, a lunar or Martian mission. Kyle, uh, if I can, uh,
1: if I might interject real quick, I think I have a little bit of context too. Particularly around that that number that you brought up, the thousand sieverts. Yeah. yeah, it's,
0: it's um, just a number. Otherwise, so go for it.
1: Yeah. So just so just to kind of uh, open this up, because even even as someone who's had a couple years of years in med school, I, I don't think I really learned at all at any point about radiation as a as a hazard for humans. Uh, much less like what the average radiation exposure is, or like what an X-ray does in terms of like the dosage, for instance. Maybe if you go into radiology, this is something that's discussed a little bit more, but um even with a little bit of a medical gra- background, I didn't I didn't know these things. So I, I thought I'd look it up before we talked today. And I found out that uh so this the Sievert is just one unit of uh, measuring radiation, particularly dose, uh it's a dose equivalency, I think. There's there's a bunch, a bunch of different uh, uh you, know, you know measurement know, notations that you'll see out there. Right? There's Uh, there's the sieverts, which we've already mentioned, there's RIM, which is like the common version of that. Uh, You've got like at least six other different ways that you can measure (laughs) radiation exposure, Mm. dosage on a person, but we're going to try to, hopefully we can stick to sieverts here because that's the SI unit. Um, And I found that my, I used a calculator online and I found that my own personal radiation exposure annually was about, uh, let's see, 3.23 millisieverts. So that was, that was me. And the average in the U S was around six. And And things like, things like like being on an airplane, like being, you know, in a place where there's less atmosphere above you, Mm -hmm. being a radiologist, working in a nuclear facility, being like a some kind of weird military nuclear engineer, uh, or maybe even like living on a submarine or something like that. All these are going to affect how much exposure you get. And the fact, the fact is, is that if you don't have this atmosphere above you, a lot more of the sun's radiation is going to make contact with your body and be able to disrupt the way your cells are working. Right. So. Uh, like I said, my, in an entire year, I'm only looking at about three millisieverts of radiation exposure, assuming that I'm not like on some kind of radiation therapy or getting x-rays all the time. Uh, and then I also found out in an article, actually, uh, if Kyle can pull my article up for everyone to s- just kind of see, I only brief mention it briefly. It's not a major thing, but I'll just post it again in our okay, sweet. chat, uh, essentially China recently landed a probe on the moon, and they were taking radiation doses on the surface. And it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of funny because I, the, the main reason you would do this is, is not because you're worried your, your probe's gonna get fried by the radiation exposure on the surface of the moon. It's more so like, okay, what is like having a human on the surface gonna look like? Like what, what kind of numbers are we working here? How much, how many meters of like <laughs> okay. lunar regolith do we need between a human? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the sun in order to like make sure they're they're not going to just get you know all sorts of tumors and other problems and uh i think the number after i converted it was that uh okay so i'll take a step back on the iss on the international space station apparently they're looking at about an average of 266 millisieverts per year and and hopefully if, if these numbers sound outlandish it's because i think they are uh, and I'm I'm not sure this is a measurement that they mentioned in this article that they that this is an external measurement or an inside under shielding kind of measurement, but this was the measurement that they offered for the ISS, and then for the Moon, it was 500 millisieverts per year. So, like again, my personal <laughs> exposure was about three. So you're you're mm-hmm. dealing with like orders of magnitude greater exposure, essentially.
2: Fun fact yeah. um, regarding. Uh measurements Did you know that there's a banana equivalent dose Mhm Oh sure yeah one banana equivalent dose also known as BED is equivalent to 0.1 microsieverts
0: sieverts. Nice because so it produces because bananas, bananas have
2: naturally occurring potassium 40 which is a radioactive element
1: Nice.
2: Wow. <laughs>
0: Lo- love to see. Love to hear that. <laughs> Very cool, right? I mean, how many people are going to stop eating uh,
2: bananas knowing it's hey, radioactive? <laughs> well,
0: it, it's funny that there's a banana banana for scale in multiple, you know, senses of the word. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, get <laughs> both both the size and how much radiation. It's, it's great. I was just wondering, like, how many how many
1: bananas would I have to eat to, like, simulate the radiation dose of being on the space station for a year? I feel yeah. like you're more likely to suffer from hyperkalemia
2: than you are. Yeah. Morbid obesity,
1: I don't know, something <laughs> <laughs> in
0: Remember, disclaimer, this is
2: not a medical show. We're just talking about things <laughs> yep, we're, we're, we're
0: just We're here to bring the excitement about space medicine. That's it. Try this at home, kids.
2: <laughs> <laughs> try this at home, eat your bananas. <laughs> yeah,
0: this yeah, is really a really interesting article. Yeah, if
1: you, if you want to jump, I just thought I would bring that in. It was just published uh, in 2020. China's doing cool stuff. It looked, it, I mean, yeah. I think they're going to try to land people on the moon soon, and I'm pretty sure that they've made public their plans to do so. should be cool. But, yeah, yeah so I just want to mention that. You can go ahead with the other article. No, it's
0: a, it's a great article, man. I think it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that um, – I, I feel like it will be really nice to, to have a more solid grasp of when nations, especially the U.S. and other, and other obviously other nations too – when they say they're going a place that they, when they actually go again, you know, because it's yeah. like, I, I have a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm certainly happy, um, you know, I'm all for team space, you know, anyone who wants to, you know, any country that wants to go to space, uh, you know, for, not for military reasons, but for exploration, science, discovery, that's, I'm all for it. Who, who Any shape or size, if you're, you're going, going for peace and doing that, that's great. So, I mean, there's um, a
2: there is a uh, world convention or agreement not to do military things in space, I think. Yep. Last I checked, but we'll yeah,
1: have to look I... a more. yeah, last. Yeah. Maybe I don't there's know. an asterisk. I think, uh, I'm not sure if China is in on that agreement, but maybe be, if if it's like a UN agreement, then I suppose there would be. But anyway. Anyway. Oh, oh, actually, Kyle, I'm just gonna jump in one more thing. Go for it. They're, so on Earth, the main the main way that people get radiation exposure here that I kind of already talked about, and, and we're not talking about so much like UV uh, ultraviolet radiation, which is something you need to worry about a lot about when you're on the beach. We're uh, we're kind of talking more about cosmic, what's called cosmic radiation exposure, and this I I think I actually mentioned before, like you know distance meters of things between you and the sun, that's kind of not really the right way to look, to think about it. It's more so the ambient radiation of, I guess, the universe and and maybe a large part of that is related to the sun. I'm not sure on the actual like physics side of things, but it's more so just the, the environment. So that might be a more important way to think Mm -hmm. about it. But one actually kind of salient thing that, uh, we talk, we talk about here on earth is, uh, flight attendants and like pilots because they're closer, you know, they're closer to the vacuum. Essentially, they have less above them. Mm-hmm. They're chronically up in the atmosphere. But the thing is with the, with the numbers that they see, and I believe, I believe their exposure is about double that. What an average person who, you know, is mostly staying on the surface sees probably depends on where you are in the world, but in the elevation and such, but I think they see about double and the evidence on like cancer risk, it seems to show that there are some specific types of cancer that they're at risk for, but for the most part, we don't actually know for sure, like the full consequences of like a lifetime of of this or just like a year or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I guess the reason I want to mention that really quick is because, when it comes to knowing, like the consequences of having people in space for prolonged periods of time, we don't even we don't even really know yet how it works on Earth. We're no we're like really nowhere close to fully understanding how things are going to play out as soon as people are up there for very long t- periods of time, which to this point is not something a lot of astronauts have done.
2: Yeah, I was just to add on to that. Um, the article that you shared, Kyle, the real versus simulated galactic cosmic radiation kind of uh, touches on a few uh, few points that you were talking about, so it's a pretty good segue. Um, just to answer your uh, original question, uh, where is the majority of the radiation coming from? Well, at least on Earth, we have two types that affect us. It's going to be um, solar particle events, which is like your solar flares, and then you also have your galactic cosmic radiation. These primarily come from supernova that originates somewhere within the, the Milky Way. And then we can have both um, high LET and low LET. LET is linear uh, linear energy transfers, which is uh, I, I, the way I envision it is. and Correct me if I'm wrong. This is this is my first time learning about this stuff. So. But <laughs> we're all not, we're all like, learning here. Yeah, it, it seems like it's um, we got these particles that are kind of flying through our cells when we get exposed to radiation, and then these cause um reactive oxygen species for, uh, forming and causes nuclear instability the high LET radiation is kind of like the problematic ones this is where we're getting our alpha pro- uh, particles neutrons and heavy ions that are causing the dna s- strand breaks while it's low energy stuff doesn't really do that as much but you're, you're spot on with uh, we have no idea how that works on Earth uh, versus mm-hmm. how that works in the, uh, works the uh, atmosphere. I mean, the paper was talking about how the majority of the experiments that we look at when we're trying to see um, how did, what kind of cancer is, what's the pathophysiology of radiation exposure, they oftentimes use very, very high doses of radiation at one time to stimulate some kind of uh, damage in the cells. Mm. The problem is you never get to that high level of radiation. Out in space, I think um, our, our ground level experiments were around like fifteen hundred to three thousand uh, milli Geigers, I think, Gy.
0: I think it's gray.
2: Mm, gray. Gray. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking about the Geiger counter. And it just yeah yeah so it makes, sense. It makes, makes it's sense. It's so yeah. rad. Where is <laughs> uh, yes. the? And they only do really it like, one time.
1: Like, like, unit. Wait, was that an intentional? I feel like I have to point this pun out. Was that an intentional pun? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's so you rad. Want, it, baby. Rad is <laughs> yeah. <it's> a common <laughs> unit for gray. <laughs> gray is a scientific, <laughs> the international right. unit. That's funny. It's All right Whatever you want. I'm gonna. Then we'll leave it up to the audience.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, and like that's that's a problem, right? Because we understand the pathophysiology of like a one time high level dose, whereas Mm -hmm. uh, our space exploration missions, where we've kind of done some preliminary rodent samples, cell based samples, we're well below 500 grays over a long period of time. And you don't really get that same level of transformation and tumorogenesis as you
1: would with the higher doses, but we don't know what's the long term effects yeah. of those. I'll you back worked. what I said earlier. It's not that we. It's not that we have no idea. It's more so that we're we're figuring it out still. That's yeah. What to
0: yeah, and, <laughs> we, and um, Vlad, d- to your point, like uh, it's not like these scientists are like um they're they're not like doing an an experiment and saying oh we really just want to dose it really you know they're not just lazy like i mean lazy might be a part of it but there's the reason the limitation exists um that they have to do a high dose over a short period of time is often due to beam time at some of these national labs so a lot of the time that these uh these experiments are done are either at brookhaven national lab Oak Ridge national lab uh, I actually have an experiment that's at Oak uh, Oakbridge National Lab as it's called um, down Tennessee. and they have these um, they have these particle accelerators that generate these you know these cosmic rays or these heavy elements or these you know crazy cosmic energies. and um, that's where they do these experiments. But <laughs> beam time is very like hard to come by. And so you're constrained by the amount of time that you can actually do these experiments. So it's, sure it's uh, yeah, it's just kind of, it's a limitation of doing these studies gosh, and probably yeah. brought up in, in these things. But it's not just the fact that they're, you know, it could be useful to do a high dose of radiation like this, but mm-hmm. it's applicability to space, um, as you rightfully so bring up, is um, it's because they have this limitation on, on Earth. Gotcha.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't consider the fact that even generating these particles, like you only probably have fractions of a second when you're colliding and developing these uh, these these kind of like radiation signatures. I guess is a way to think about them, to, to hit your uh, to hit your cells with. Now that makes a lot of sense due to those limitations. If only we could send our uh, cell cultures into space and <laughs> do that low cost, but limitations i suppose yeah
0: i think i think that's where a lot of the cubesat um kind of style of of uh spacecraft is really going to be cool for as, as a science experiment so rather than having to do all the stuff that goes to space station and whatever like you could have an experiment that is uh like pretty you know load and go ready to go and you could just have an experiment that goes up on a on a cubesat So there's a lot of logistical problems with, you know, in vitro work in general, like, (laughs) like they, um, one, one thing that kind of shocked me when I like first started doing in vitro work was when someone told me that like the time of day that you plate your cells and the time that you treat your cells, if there are mammalian cells, they actually do exhibit some circadian rhythm problems like mm-hmm. and their cells they don't have like a cysmatic nucleus they don't have like a they don't have any sensory organs of any kind like, um, so it's there's but that actually can change the
2: genes that refl- that like respond to the hormones produced by those nuclei
0: yeah if only that's there was so a field crazy. of medicine called maybe ma- like really accurate medicine is that the one that we should develop <laughs> accurate medicine accurate medicine <laughs> <one call it. laughs>
2: that's that's wicked to me but yeah, so I it's mean, like
0: you know, it, like there's Spaceflight experiments in general have a hard time, um, even simulating one thing. Like even if you're only if you're only curious about radiation, when you go, what, an astronaut that goes to space is not confronted with just radiation. They're confronted with all five of these things at once. You know, the stresses of it, the the carbon the dioxide, range. the like. There's a bunch of physiologies that are interacting in here and. You know, if you're if you're really interested in studying radiation, you want to study it in a silo at least for a period of time, and then you can kind of combine it once you have all the learnings from that. So it's it seems like uh, I don't I don't really know the right fix. You know, try what you can and (laughs) just do the experiments uh, when and when you can, and know the limitations when you make conclusions. So
2: yeah, that sounds like such a nightmare trying to tease out all the mechanisms and. Potential risk factors and pathologies when you're hit in such a weird environment like space.
1: So I guess we've I feel like we've at this point kind of contextualized like what radiation is, uh, where it's coming from, how how it looks like like where our understanding is at, and how it looks on Earth and maybe on like the Moon. I would imagine the Mar- I would imagine the Martian environment because they have a little bit of atmosphere to be maybe a little less than on the lunar surface uh there's that much i do I, I, I mean it's, no, it's I, about <laughs> it's, oh, it's about
0: one one percent and radiation on the surface of mars is definitely a a, a a large problem i don't have any numbers behind it but the the effective atmosphere it it it's like just uh pesky enough to you know it doesn't really help you landing on it and it doesn't really, you can't breathe it. So it's, it's, it's kind of pesky and in the way. It's and th- a little bit. it's just, it's just annoying. Yeah. So it doesn't really provide you much radiation coverage. It's probably, the it's best probably my also a
1: magnetosphere thing too. If I'm, I mean, I might just be pulling it out of nowhere. Right. But it's not only the atmosphere. It's the fact that we have like a, you know, the earth has like a strong magnetic field i don't know i don't know what the magnetic field situation of mars is i think my understanding is that they don't have one on mars or on the mm-hmm. moon yeah they, yeah they i think that's like right
0: magnetic... oh sorry go ahead I, well i mean i think i think that's right it's it, i know it's not strong enough to have um like the the normal like gyros that are on a satellite to um that work off of the magnetic field of the of the earth to allow station keeping like they have um uh, like certain uh, gyroscopes that allow you to uh, like essentially to I need to fix this really quick um, oh, I pretty see much it. yeah pretty much you have um, you have uh, these gyroscopes in on satellites that work off the magnetic uh, field and I know that mm-hmm. around Mars you you don't have Either a large enough one or one at all to really have that as a, a viable thing. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, what were you gonna say, what? I I was just uh, man. I was. I'm kind of kicking
2: myself that I didn't like to uh, understand kind of like how magnetic fields play a role in protecting you from solar radiation. But
1: I think it's just a basic, significant role. Some, what's that? I think it's a. I think it's a significant role. It might even. certain well, it more cer- part certainly of does. But yeah, I, maybe this will be a, a talk for another orbit <laughs> well, this is yeah. this is a question for the physicists so uh uh-huh. i know kyle's kyle's brother is a a physicist maybe he maybe he would know the answer to us, <laughs> but uh I, I don't even know like hopefully hopefully someone who does know the answer at some point will be able to reach out to us but i might just be curious enough to try to figure it out on my own later. Oh, certainly, yeah. I
2: mean, I'm kind of... I, I did a quick glance over a Wikipedia article, take that for what you will, mm-hmm. and essentially it has magnetic field, but it doesn't have, like, a inner dynamo to produce a large enough magnetic field to mm-hmm. shield it from solar radiation. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> or how that relates to, like, Earth's inner dynamo. I don't know what's generating that, but... Gotcha. I think I it's think the ro- rotating
0: it, molten core. I think is. I think if I yeah. remember like you know uh, high school, know uh, <laughs> what earth science, or physical either either science way, or. like
1: however however it works. I mean, you've got you've got atmosphere. You can have physical. You can have more tangible physical bar- barriers like the hull of a spacecraft, a spacesuit, or a magnetosphere. I don't. I don't personally know how much each of these is is going to you know, affect your radiation dose. But the point is to kind of tie it back into medicine. The point is, this is something, it's a problem that exists. The engineers can do what they can do to try to minimize the exposure. But for now, astronauts in the ISS, astronauts on spaceships going to and from different uh, planetary bodies, they're going to have to deal with the reality that their radiation dose is going to be higher than mm-hmm. we see on earth, significantly higher and I think it's going to be our responsibility as uh, space medicine professionals. I don't know if Vlad is interested. Uh, you didn't, you never mentioned if you wanted to be a space doctor at some point. No, to, no
2: I, I definitely want to be involved. I definitely want <laughs> but anyway, to be involved. It's
1: going to be our responsibility to figure out how, how significant of an issue this is going to be because we're not just about sending people into space. We need to make sure that they get back and we need to make sure that we're not significantly impairing their, their you know, life, essentially, their life expectancy and quality of life when they get home. These are things that we need to control for. And uh, it's gonna be on the space medicines uh, specialists to, to kind of assess this risk and come up with solutions that are uh, not necessarily engineering, but also on the treatment end of things Pharmacology uh, and other per- maybe prevention and such. No, you're
2: absolutely right. I mean, a lot when you look back to the history of science, a lot of discovery that we've made is from things where they've been broken. right? We see some kind of a disease, we see some kind of exposure, and then it just affects someone really, really negatively. And then from that kind of a tragedy, if you will, we kind of learn a discovery from it, right? And it's kind of uh, you, we as medicine, uh, as people who are going to be practicing medicine, especially in these kinds of fields, we don't want to send someone who's going to be at significant risk to come back with something horrible for us to learn from. But then, unfortunately. Yeah, we want to mitigate that. that if we can. <laughs> we want to well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's <laughs> <a> responsibility <laughs> yeah. about, for us. We can't simply just send, you know, uh, astronauts, cosmonauts in space just
1: mm-hmm. for them to come back sick. Yep. With their life being. Well, I, think, I think this is an attitude that's shared by the majority of space programs I don't know like where China's like human ethics side of things is like obviously they've they, they've been in the news recently at, within a within a year I think for the um, uh, gosh what what a, there's, there's a researcher who like used CRISPR technology to like gene edit a baby mm-hmm. or something like that so obviously I mean that's just one example and, and probably doesn't speak to China's way of doing research for their space program by any means but i i think most space organizations are on the page of like hey these people were sitting in space we expect them to come back and we expect them to be in good health
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah they, so they do come back i think um we're bringing up that like radiation you know is a problem we're not really sure you know how it's going to be handled um but I, if it's all right with you guys I'd like to transition to like what are like, what happens when you get irradiated? Like, you know, what happens, you know, so what, what are some of the like medical consequences of um, these kind of high dose radiations? Um, And this is kind of kicked off in this Wired article that we kind of began with um, where it kind of talked about the different types of radiations. You know, you have alpha radiation, which is, I believe a four over two helium nuclei that is, you know, ejected from the sun you have beta radiation which is essentially electron radiation um gamma uh gamma rays which is uh gamma ray i don't know how else to describe that um
1: yeah yeah it's, for, it's a yeah. of
0: a certain wavelength yeah in the yeah gamma ray it's so. like
1: an x-ray but taken to the next level yeah. <laughs> even stronger x-ray yeah.
0: Um, and yeah, then so, you have these heavier elements as well um, that kind of get ejected um, from the sun and from different places. Um, Vlad, did you have something to say?
2: Yeah, I was. Uh, I could uh, jumpstart that conversation and talk about cardiovascular disease, as I was talking about earlier, and how radiation induces cardiovascular disease. And um,
0: I was hoping you would. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: it's, like, it's like rehearsed, except we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Fuse that well. So anyway, um, yeah, the paper that I was taking a look at, called uh, "Radiation-Induced Cardiovascular Disease: Mechanisms and Importance of Linear Energy Transfer," kind of uh, talks about the pathology of how we get cardiovascular disease from radiation exposure. And the long the short of it is, we have low, like like I mentioned before, we have low energy and high energy um, exposure. And the high energy exposure is the one that seems, to, at least to me, interest uh, interest me a little bit more. But before before I go into that, uh, if you could scroll down and take a look at that first figure.
0: Oh, I love figures.
2: Yeah, this the, I I learned this today, and this was really really cool to me. So essentially, um, I'm just going to be drawing mm-hmm. ballistics metaphors. Into <laughs> radiation. Because that's how it. That's it. That's yeah. What it you seems just you're getting shot like, right? with
0: stuff. That makes yeah, sense. you're just
2: you're literally getting shot with microscopic bullets, right? And so that's what that first graph is showing. Um, your dose delivered—that's how much um, radiation you're getting shot with. So if someone put a machine gun to you with a bunch of uh, like radiation, they just fired into you. It's not really going to affect you initially uh, with your tissue depth. But the the deeper and the deeper that your tissue go, that the deeper and deeper the particles go, the less radiation you get essentially. Mm-hmm. Kind of like thinking of it as like your skin is like body armor as the bullet kind of goes in it slows down right because there's more stuff getting in the way but then that next figure in figure b this is where something really cool happens you get this plateau region where the particles start to slow down and then you get this thing called the brag peak which describes the phenomenon well where you have a radioactive particle once it slows down it kind of stays in that area and once it's in that area, it now starts to release a lot of radiation, and that's why you get a peak
1: in the dose delivered. So when you say when you say release radiation, you just mean like the energy that existed in, in whatever this – so we have like a photon or what kind of radiation are we talking about again? I think this is uh, just for yeah, uh, any kind of – yeah, photons, okay. electrons, alpha.
0: It might be generalized yeah. to different types. Sure. Okay. All right. I would I, I would guess Just that it's part, particle it's particle released. radiation because if it was gamma, it doesn't interact with matter. Oh right. So oh, it I'm it, it wouldn't 30 it 30, wouldn't 30, have yeah. a a quote unquote slowing down effect. So that's that would be my guess. These audience
2: members, type in the comments. We love <laughs> <having them. laughs> So yeah, you have these particles and as they slow down, now that they're slowing down, not moving as quickly, they're able to exert their effects more. So now they're kind of like delivering more energy than they would if they were traveling at a higher speed.
0: So these particles like to brag a lot more is what you're saying? Like to like, you know, (laughs) chef. can can you imagine the guy named Bragg? Like this, there's a person out there named Bragg. He or she like got to name a thing named the Bragg Peak. That's pretty cool. I don't know. That's pretty awesome.
2: That's what we're all hoping for <laughs> in our names to describe some phenomena. I mean, I
0: hate eponyms, but, you know, Bragg Peak is not the worst one in the world.
2: Yeah, definitely not. So that's kind of like what's happening when you get hit with radiation, right? Like once it starts to slow down, it starts to get really, really bad for you. Um, we scroll down a little bit more. Now it's uh, to, that, to that next figure where you see two cells, that's going to be kind of like what's going on with um, A being your low do- low energy and B being mm. your high energy. Ooh, with low energy, this terrifying. Yeah, this is a this is an approach to kind of using uh, radiation for keep uh, for therapeutic purposes and uh, patients with cancer, for example. If you're trying to kill cancer cells, you take these two different approaches. You could either fire them from a lot of different angles, mm-hmm. and you're trying to just cause general instability, or you fire them really, really hard with a high energy um, uh, LET. Now the thing is, the high energy LET is really problematic because it's more likely to cause double-stranded DNA breaks once you make mm-hmm. those double-stranded DNA breaks that's when your cell starts to uh, great for treating cancer, horrible for mm-hmm. astronauts being out in space this is where your cells start to um, kind of go undergo apoptosis, start to generate a reactive oxygen species they start to uh, undergo a cascade of death
1: and kind of lamanize that right like is there a way we can l- laymanize like the active oxygen species maybe everyone knows yeah, about. yeah so you know, when oxygen. your bullet goes through your body uh-huh.
2: everything <laughs> just like pops and you know opens up kind of like the exit wound being that giant hole in your back that's what's going on with the cells <laughs> it's great. yeah not not completely though the active <laughs> oxygen species are more of like a way um we would have to go down a, uh, a pathway of like inf- uh, describing how inflammation works. But yeah. essentially, uh, it's like uh, your cells get really, really upset and they start to release bleach everywhere. I think, yeah.
1: <laughs> the, <laughs> the way I think about I, it I, is I, like, go ahead. Oh, thanks, Kyle. The way I think about it is like all of our all of our cells are made up of, of molecules, proteins, what have you. All those are made up of atoms. All atoms have or. Elect- er, I don't know if I can say all oh, atoms, I'm sure there's like physicists out there like mashing their keyboards, if you know where they to watch this. So uh, go
0: right, you suck. <laughs> almost, uh,
1: atoms, atoms have electrons orbiting them. Uh, what happens is when radiation, like a photon, a particle passes through a cell, these beams of radiation are very, very tiny. They interact very, you know, at, at very, very specific sites on the atomic level And they, uh, they knock atoms off of, or they knock electrons off of certain atoms and those electrons that are now free. In other words, uh, free oxidants, they, they can interact with a different atom instead, or they essentially move around to a different place. They're, they no longer have a home wherever they came from. And if they happen to go on to interact with the atom, that's supposed to be a part of your DNA strand, suddenly. This part of the DNA strand has more electrons than it's supposed to, and that can cause that can cause the the DNA strand to break. Mm-hmm. And now your body has to go and fix it. And if it happens to fix it incorrectly, finally, I mean, this is a lot of basic science, but finally, you've arrived at a point where
0: oh, nice, It's, we it's go. single <laughs>
1: nucleotide polymorphism, which we mentioned earlier, <laughs> and uh, you can you have a you now have a mutation that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot of radiation, you get a lot of free radicals, a lot of these these homeless electrons, displaced electrons, mm-hmm. electron refugees, uh, finding a new home in your DNA where they're gonna mess everything up. And, and this is the kind of the sort of event that could cause cancer, could cause a cell to start dividing rapidly on accident.
0: And if and you're, you're in right, uh, Yeah, I could have done. No, it's it great.
1: By like interpretation.
0: No, I think it's really important because like what I just pulled up here um, is like a a biologist view of what you just described. Um, and I think even biologists are bored by this. They must be, you know, like when they when they sure. see when you when you see this on a lecture slide. It's like oh, you have a particle that ha- can affect at the cellular level, and you have reaction in oxygen species interacting with the mitochondria, causing apoptosis and caspase C yeah, right, yeah. expression, and then oh, it causes off-target effects and receptor tyrosine. It's just like come on, like dude, just like talk about it, like re- like really talk about it. Um, so yeah, if you're uh, if you're actually a biologist, just take a look at this. Um, this article, um, and yeah, like, I thought this was a really, really cool article, I'm so happy you brought it, brought it up, because this yeah, was this, kind uh, of a, you got it, man.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to uh, just finish up, essentially, like, we're talking about, essentially, um, how cancer is formed, right, that's what you were mentioning, where uh, right? oh, yeah, so you, re- re- mm-hmm. you get the sure. reactive, o- you get the reactive oxygen species, I like to think of it like acid, the acid starts, like, cooking away your DNA, and then boom, you got a tumor, right? Whereas in this case, um, that's typically not the case. That, well, I shouldn't say it's typically not the case, but with uh, high-energy LATs, what's going on with that is that the acid that gets, pro- the acid that gets produced is at, uh, is at higher concentrations, and it just pisses the cells off even more so, especially the cells in your blood vessels, kind of like the, like the little builders of your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. It, pisses, it pisses them off to such a degree where they're actually angry for six months straight where typically when you when you get like a cut right that's the same thing that happens you piss off mm-hmm. the cells in your leg and then essentially they're you know throwing a tantrum they're super angry and then they attract um, they tell the other cells in your body like hey we've got to help these you know crying babies out a little bit here and then, you know, they, give them, they give them like the, kiss, the mommy kisses on the cheeks you know, they put the little band aid on and then boom everything heals up but if they cry for too long then you start getting into problems where things don't start healing well, much like a, uh, a parent that isn't taking care of their kids well, the kids aren't going to be doing well in the long term. You know, The kid, parent needs to be affectionate and giving. If the parent isn't affectionate and giving, the kid's not going to so be So in doing this more. case,
1: in this specific case, the parent being like the rest of the body, or like the... Yeah, the, the, the rest of the body, right?
2: They're not taking care yeah. of the different parts of the kid of it is and, like the cardiovascular cell? Just yeah. And
1: sure. So in oh. this
2: case, the kids that are upset are your uh, blood vessels. They're crying okay. and they're upset. And they're crying so much that it's actually starting to cause the same stuff that you get when when you eat too much fat, when you smoke too much tobacco, you start to get uh, plaques developing in your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. Blood vessels start to clog up, and this is what's happening when you get exposure to high energy uh, high energy LETs. Yeah, so actually, that was absolutely remarkable.
0: Mm-hmm. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, I think uh, it was also brought up during this uh, investigator's workshop. Um, there was a study that was presented by, I think, a number of different uh, people um, because, you know, there's many different aspects that you can look at this, in a lot of different data sets. Um, but one astronaut, um, they had a like a very large uh, blood vessel in your like your head and neck region um, okay. called the carotid artery that was like like as stiff as a like it increased the age the stiffness like it was the age of like a 60 or 70 year old person from like a six month period of space space flight so it it, it like directly it caused this either through a fluid shift problem which we kind of talked about last time or a radiation problem that uh you're kind of bringing up now um and yeah like actually getting into um like cardiac remodeling um that this paper talks about like as the radiation um effect i actually always thought that the um the reason that your heart uh in space kind of like remodels and changes shape was largely due to a fluid shift but it seems like radiation is also playing a could play a role here (laughs)
1: it's always playing a role man yeah like things are like every problem has like every every cause like everything you can't you can't just isolate a problem right like that's yeah. that's the crux of it mm-hmm. yeah for sure and i mean
2: you like i completely believe you kyle when you talk about that there was that patient who had um carotid artery that was so much more aged especially after reading this paper and it really expands what you think the problems are it makes you it really expands your understanding of what radiation can do to someone most of the time you think of radiation you think of chernobyl and you think of boom you're getting cancer like uh, thyroid cancer and take your iodine pills we're mm-hmm. here we're learning about like cardiovascular changes, we're thinking we're learning about uh, blood vessel changes. I'd love to see what other kinds of things we could uncover and discover. Oh my gosh.
1: Actually, I don't, I don't know if uh, if this is a good time or if Kyle, you you have something that you're thinking about, but I also had a little bit of an article um to bring up
0: with the iron's hot, man. Go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, separate consequence.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's go for
1: it. So yeah. Like another thing um, I'm going to, I'm going to do everyone who's been like diligently waiting for me to actually deliver the payoff on the discussion about precision medicine, like, <laughs> but, uh, it's, this is actually another article from the same, uh, source that Vlad linked. I'll just repost it here. So Kyle can find it more easily. I think that's the right one. Uh, yeah. So radiation. Right. We, we covered we, every, every, pretty much everyone knows that radiation is associated with cancer, take your iodine pills, et cetera. That's what I mentioned. Cardiovascular disease, something is like definitely not the first thing you think of when the topic of radiation is brought up. Another thing that I wanted to quickly mention was the fact that the, that radiation specifically, uh, chronic radiation exposure has an influence on how your immune system works. So this is just another body system. And the reason I was kind of saying like every every um, problem is caused by every possible cause is because <laughs> I, think, I think that you probably would be hard pressed to find a body system that isn't affected by radiation. Uh, and I, I don't really have the citations to make that claim like as a, as a strong statement, but that's kind of my sneaking suspicion. But to focus a little bit on the immune system, uh, this. This uh, article right here, it's less of a, a scholarly article, and more just like a couple individual, a couple researchers thoughts on kind of where we're at with how radiation affects the immune system. It's just a couple different things itself. The main reason I just want to bring it up is to quickly just kind of say that when you are living in a space where chronic radiation is your reality, your immune system is not going to behave normally. And this article kind of goes on to say: like, hey, it's not that if you're being irradiated, your body, your immune system is like completely activated in every way, much like when you're exposed to a virus or something like that. Actually, specifics, specific cells that fulfill specific functions within your immune system are elevated. Some are Uh, decreased. And really, the immune system is all over the place. But I I thought this was a great opportunity to mention precision medicine because really, uh, when we're selecting for astronauts, one of the cool things that we can do uh, with precision medicine, hopefully in the future is, uh, and and I, I say cool, but maybe some people be like, Oh, no, this is terrible, because we're just adding another layer of filtering on who can go to space. But we could actually look at and say, hey, this, uh, this individual who's, you know, potentially going to be our next astronaut candidate, we did a genome wide sequence, we know exactly what each of their genes looks like, down to the base pair level all the way through every single base pair. And we found out that uh, this individual has Three single nucleotide polymorphisms, SMPs, where they have abnormal base pairs at a specific point along the chain in a specific chromosome. And this alteration is going to make them eight times more, and I'm just bit pulling a number here, this is going to make them eight times more likely to have a hypoactive immune system under normal context. And if you're, if you're looking at that person who might be the next astronaut candidate, you might say to yourself, like, wait a second, do we really, like not knowing how this is gonna play out, do we really wanna select this individual knowing that even despite, you know, completely aside the fact that they're gonna be in space where they're getting a higher radiation dose, here on earth, they're more at risk. Uh, Do I wanna send this person on a spaceship for a year long mission? And And the answer is gonna change. You might say, okay, but maybe we need to go with the other option the other other candidate, or you might say this person is only safe to go into space for 30 days and not a 180-day mission, you might be able to, with with knowledge like that, that you can get from precision medicine, you might be able to to make uh, kind of a health uh, space medicine solution uh, for the radiation problem in that you're going to be able to know better which astronaut candidates can go up and for how long. And if, if there is a possibility that they might be at more risk for a problem, then maybe they need to have a special treatment set up with them. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm really excited to see how, how this line of thought like, goes. I mean, it applies to pretty much every, every issue that you can think of because uh, at, the, at the end of the day, no matter what health problem you're talking about, there's almost always a genetic component to that problem in terms of the susceptibility an individual has to it. Uh, but I think in specifics to radiation, I haven't, I haven't looked at it myself, but because it is known to affect the immune system, if you, you know, one thing that we do know about precision medicine already is just the fact that there are in- individuals out there who are going to have hypoactive immune systems or they're gonna have hyperactive immune systems. For instance, like they have celiac disease or they have Crohn's or something yeah, and either isn't
0: good. You want you want you want it in between. You want you want it to be yeah, normal to be active. Small. You want it to be mm-hmm. you know not too low or too high. It might not even be the case that
1: if their immune system is hypoactive or hyperactive in such a way that they have a disease here on Earth. It may just be the case that the risk, uh, they're hypo or hyperactive to a degree where you would be a little bit concerned about sending them in space for a long mission. That's yeah. That's that's my thoughts, and that's kind of my uh, my interesting thoughts while reading through mm-hmm. this article.
2: <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. That's cool. That's awesome.
1: There, everyone got their everyone got their precision medicine dose. <laughs> <Yeah>. More <laughs> than think enough. Th- I think this kind of uh,
0: I think this kind of ties in. You talked a lot about selection. Um, of astronauts and like kind of, uh, you know, which, which one would be ch- you know chosen for a short term versus a long term space flight kind of as like a paradigm. Um, and it actually brings up uh, a question that Vlad in, uh, sent to me uh, before the show. And that was really like, you know, if radiation is this huge problem, um, you know, an astronaut or a cosmonaut that has been in space for a very long time might not be resent up in into a long duration mission but yet they are the most experienced for such a mission and that is like that's Ooh. like a very valuable like skill to have like yes. at least at least emotionally i don't I don't know like that it feels right like the person who's been to I mean, the moon the before really like far, you want to be so you want to be with that person because too. they know how to do all the stuff Mm -hmm. But that person is, for that very same reason, probably the person you wouldn't want to choose from a medical standpoint.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, the way we have our, like, our funding and our costs set up right now, it just seems so prohibitive, right? You're going to be training these professionals with, you know, extremely rigorous selection criteria. they got to be educated. They have to be extremely fit. They have to undergo extreme training, you have to do all of these different things. you got to learn languages, right? I to think to be a, that, Harvard, a Harvard doctor and a Navy SEAL. So, <laughs> yeah, Harvard doctor, a Navy SEAL. you got to, you know, <laughs> cure some kind of new disease and, I don't know, <laughs> save some endangered species, right? Like, there's you got to do all these different things, and then you send them out for space for an X amount of time, and then that's it. You can't send them up again anymore because the risks are way too high. Yeah. No. Unless the astronaut wants to go for it, then you're left with an ethical decision on whether or not you think that's a good thing to do, right? Even if the astronaut thinks, like, hey, yeah. I'm, the, I'm, the best, I'm the best, I want to be the first, or, you know, I, I feel horrible because I'm the bo- most trained for it. I don't want to, like, you know, someone else to do it because they might, you know, endanger themselves in the mission. So you're left with this dilemma of, like, well, man, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think um, like in undergrad, I studied philosophy and medical ethics, um, and I always didn't really know what I could bring to the table for that. Um, and I wasn't really interested in space medicine in, in undergrad, really. I didn't really know it existed until after I graduated. Um, but it, like what we're bringing up is there might be a field not only uh, of medical ethics, but of space medical ethics as like a, as a thing. So, I don't know, like, if more people, the more and more people that get, you know, get involved in space, um, the more and more people that go to space, um, it's definitely going to come up and we're going to be presented with these kind of moral dilemmas, uh, as well as the scientific ones that we're talking about here tonight.
2: Yeah, and I mean, uh, we could already draw on experiences with, I know, I can't remember if it was with NASA or if it was with <clears throat> SpaceX that there's a, there's like a selection of, uh. Uh, billionaires or millionaires, I think, that were recruited, that have you know put in their pit, uh, their kind of like bet to see if they'll be like the next one to go to the International Space Station. And they're going to be getting their training and they're going to be doing some kind of science on the space station. You gotta, Then you're left with like the ethic dilemma, like do you, if you have wealth, are you going to be at first, as opposed to like, oh my gosh, people dude, we, who are yeah. more trained or people who have the uh, you know, like the resistances necessary, like they had yeah. like beneficial mutations or We talked like about that.
1: this a little bit last time, Vlad, and I, I think you're so right. Like, if just start to rehash on that, like, it's really, I mean, in the age of uh, consumeristic private space, indus- like the space industry you're not going to be sending the most fit people up. You're going to be sending the ones who can afford to like fund the mission.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, should
1: we, should we
2: put an ethical, like constraint, like just because you have, I don't know, X amount of money that you're going to be spending on this mission. But you have all these other risk factors. I mean, you've been smoking cigars ever so often, you've been, you know, <laughs> you haven't been balancing out yeah, your the finer tastes in years. life, yeah. <laughs> you've been just eating caviar and, you know, high like a butter on your bread for like forty years, you know, like is do you wanna go is it okay to put yeah, them through the risk yeah, of um, the cardiovascular remodeling that we just talked
1: about? I think from like a governmental standpoint of like hey, we're sending up these astronauts who are government employees into space. Uh, at, and, and that in that sphere, yes, NASA has an obligation to ensure that the, the risks are minimized. Right. But I think from a consumer standpoint, and this and this is just going to be the direction that we go. I mean, Virgin Galactic is already a thing. Right. Uh, from the consumer standpoint, I think the, the main thing that's important from an ethical side of view is just that we as the space medicine physicians know the risks so that they can be communicated to these people who are potentially clients uh for space travel Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah i mean we'll see we'll see
0: yeah I, i think uh whatever boundary moral ethical boundary we put up i think unfortunately a lot of the um, policy barriers that are that need to be in place often happen after the fact after a tragedy they happen yeah, after something right. we've we've gone too far and we ran into something that says we really don't want that to happen again so now we're you know now we're never going to do that again and we're going to try and mitigate it beforehand but i think the you can't it's less of an emotion like it's hard to <clears throat> to argue like there's this potential risk of this coronary artery disease or this stiff like, um, all of, you know having a, um, <clears throat> a uh, like a heart attack or having a, a CVA or having a like any kind of problem, like a, a medical emergency. It'd be hard to argue that from a probabilistic standpoint to say you have a like a ten percent chance. It's like well, well how much more would it have to be to say no to that it hasn't happened yet it it could be zero mm. so until it happens it's like well i think it'll be hard for people to really find that boundary and, and i think i think um at least at least in the the very early days of aerospace medicine more on the aero side of things they use the one percent risk rule where if you can't exceed a 1% chance for any risk that you're analyzing, you, you can't like exceed that, or else you can't like you can't do whatever uh, uh aeronautical like flight thing that you can do. Before. Whatever, I think thing they're you want to do. Yeah. yeah, I think um, I think they're I think they're moving away from that. I think that's I don't think that's uh a part of the you know, the, the lore of aerospace medicine anymore. It's not really it's be baked into them anymore. No matter but, what,
1: right?
0: Yeah. I it's and it might just come down to like whether or not you're gonna be litigated against, you know, like what's what's the legal recourse. I mean that's how often medical policies, you know, established in the US. It's like, well why did you order this test? Like well I didn't want to be, you know <laughs> didn't oh, wanna you know that like that's how heard. that works in a way. It's like that's Whoever like what you're is. up against.
1: Whoever it is that's going into space as a consumer, be it like Tom Cruise or like these the millionaires or whoever is like funding uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX projects, I'm sure that those people have like a very extensive waiver to, to sign off. Like they, I'm sure they have to waive, mm-hmm. you know, all health and safety. <laughs> uh, yeah, like everything, like a hundred percent, no matter what. Is that yeah. okay
2: on the uh, on the organizers' part to kind of like push those kinds of documents? All right. Anyways,
0: that's yeah. not the focus of the talk today. <laughs> the of the talk I think it's. I think it's really interesting, though. Yeah, I think it's interesting, um, but yeah, you're right. It's there will be a radiation clause
1: in the waiver. I'm sure.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah and it's like you know how do you consent an astronaut to or uh, a person like this to go into the capsule like knowing it's like kind of going into surgery to like consent them to surgery you know yeah and it's like and they're, he's g- he's they're he's going into to this our environment so. that they don't they may or may not really understand the risks mm-hmm. so it's like is there is going to be a like a pre-flight you know medical briefing it's like you know do you understand that you could you know suffer all of these consequences and i can definitely see that being a thing like Instead of like how to fasten your seatbelt, well maybe that too. I don't know, but it's like you know uh, the cushion under your seat can be uh, you know used as a flotation device. And radiation's a hell of a thing, and you might die from it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You never. I don't know.
2: It's just uh, there's a lot of questions to ask and I think the the important the, the important first step especially um, when we're thinking about these things for the first time is just being aware and asking the right questions like we can't obviously get the answers now but at least for the three of us here we, when we end up uh, pursuing these kind of environments we're kind of thinking about oh you know these are the things that we should be aware of when we're stepping into these um, stepping into these careers yeah
0: and I think radiation is, like, a great place to start out because it really, like, like space in general, uh, space travel in general, it affects every body system. And uh, we've only briefly touched on some of the things, um, some of the places you could go. You know, LEO, where the International Space Station is, yeah, uh, a, little, a, a little bit of the radiation um kind of environment there a little bit of lunar and and we need to learn a little bit more about how it how it happens on mars with the kind of magnetic sphere and all that um and then we kind of talked about um cardiac remodeling and like how radiation might be affecting that and then um ryan brought up this this great uh this great article here that we just kind of went through with like how it could affect uh the immune system and so it, it just feels like we're really gonna have to find out a way to like Figure figure this all out um, before we could have a sustained kind of presence. Um, so yeah, like that's that's just kind of <laughs> there's so much to do in this that's field. A good song, right? I yeah. think I
1: think it's like it, it's like we kind of put it earlier, right? Like either either we meticulously put the time in, do the experiments, and figure out what the risks are, and come up with strategies to to minimize them. <clears throat> Or as 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 both you uh, Kyle and Vlad mentioned earlier, you kind of just you just go and do it. Tragedy happens, and then you act. Wow, I don't of, want
2: that. To happen.
1: Yeah, I don't think that'll. I, I don't, don't want that, that either. I think that's what will <laughs> happen, though. Yeah. I think I'm, yeah, it, I'm. I think that that's just kind of the situation. And, and the the
2: inevitability of human impatience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't know what you do. There's the known knowns. There's the known unknowns. Mm-hmm. It's just the unknown unknowns that people can't really evaluate. And but and then,
0: and then right. on top of that, it's like no plan, you know, survives contact with the enemy. So it's like, you, like you don't even, you're like, you're going to plan. You're going to, we're going to do all this planning. And then we're going to, we're going to come out of it being like, well, man, that plan was like, in retrospect, that was a silly plan. <laughs> you know, like. It's guys... gonna be
2: like some alien warship that we had no idea was like <laughs> orbiting. Like, like Mars is actually an alien warship.
0: See that
1: uh, what is what that cigar shaped asteroid or whatever. Amuamua,
0: uh, right? Yeah, yeah I keep getting, <laughs> yeah. I keep getting
1: like, yeah. like stories about how that's actually a spaceship. Yeah. But do you guys do you guys think that uh, these like rate, the radiation problem is something that you know we'll deal with, or because it's such such a problem where the consequences aren't necessarily immediate we will more than likely, We, when I say we, I mean we as a species are more likely to just send people to Mars, send people to the moon, leave them on the ISS for two years, and when they have cancer a decade later, we're just kind of like throwing our hands up in the air. Which, which of those do you think is more likely?
2: Man, you're asking a mean question.
0: What you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there Ryan, st- you're being mean, Ryan. There's
1: I understand like,
0: are Realistically, guys... i
1: I think that we because it's I think we're characteristically bad at focusing on the long term problem, like the the problems that have a long term you know come up and, uh mm-hmm. i I'm kind of of the belief that consumerism for other countries, maybe space races uh, in the future will be the driver of you know, sending people. To this planet, that asteroid, this moon, etc. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's something like radiation, the radiation mm-hmm. issue, is a thing we'll figure out beforehand. Of
2: course. Well, and there's, I... there's so many people who are desperate to make their mark in history as well. Mm-hmm. They will throw caution to the wind to see these things happen. So many countries. Yeah, countries and individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want to be the first. They want to be written in the history books. They're willing to sacrifice anything they can to achieve it.
0: I think one corollary uh, from my side of things is, um, like, the idea that going to the space station, um, you know, doesn't immediately cause problems. Like, it it does cause problems with, um, you know, bone density. But you don't really have, like, the evidence is, the jury's out in terms of how... Uh, how long it takes for astronauts to begin to have severe uh, a severe outcome, a fracture, right? For for them to mm-hmm. like really s- like seek this. So I think that's already happening, and we're already not doing what we could do, which is provide <laughs> is provide a medication that is at least a protective me- mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. Some people would want you know more rigorous exercise or the use of a medication like bisphosphonate drugs or. Maybe an, uh, an anabolic drug like uh, intermittent PTH or uh, different different bone drug, um, but the same could be applied to radiation. Where it's like, why don't we just you know try our hardest to not you know do this? And then what I what I would say to that is, even if we do try our hardest to prevent radiation as a problem, a medical treatment doesn't come without its own risks. So yeah. and you have to provide the medication. In the first place if it's a long-term if it's not a a shot and the pharmacokinetics and dynamics are changed in an astronaut due to their volume distribution and their their fluid shifts so it's like say you have the perfect thing that prevents radiation well you have to continue to supply it maybe hopefully or maybe the perfect drug is one that you give on earth and you just they're good forever but like when are you gonna find that you're not gonna do that's not gonna happen so, so even no providing a drug is help. like, is not, isn't like, you know, what it, it's really, again, back to this backpack problem where it's like, do you take a drug? You know, do you make your backpack better to hold more drug or do you make the backpack better to like sh- shield you from more radiation? Or, um, do we need to make, you know, do we, do we have uh, humans that are better adapted for radiation? Um, all that kind of stuff. So that's crazy. Um, it just brings up a whole bag of worms that I feel like, you know, we've done at least on these two, two orbits. Like, um, I, I kind of find myself left with so many more questions. Um, and it's re- like, this is what the reason we do it. Like the, 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 pers- <laughs> the, perspectives that you two brought up tonight were, um, stuff I would never would have considered, um, in terms of like the, the long-term um, space, uh, like long-term astronaut both being the person experientially the most qualified, but the least, Radiation like from a radiation standpoint, like already dosed, um, if they're gonna go on another mission, and then all the consequences that were brought up, I just and the ethics and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, we, wish... we, are, we uh, actually are approaching uh, orbit, so we we're at an hour <laughs> and uh, 30 minutes. Um, so, at this time, just kind of like last kind of final comments, um, yeah, and uh, summaries. And I have a couple other even... little articles that I'll kind of go into um, for. I'll just kind of show um, that there's a lot more out there to look at, and then um, I'll p- kind of present uh, one potential solution that is going up to the space station to get research done about this. So, yeah, Ryan, go ahead.
1: I'm not even sure we uh, mentioned to Vlad the reason we the reason we call this in orbit is because we try to do a, do a full show in 90 minutes, the time it takes for the International Space Station to, to circumnavigate orbit. the globe. Oh, and. Adorable. uh you know what? Yeah, what we need what? to do is we need to somehow get an international space station tracker up while we're having the podcast on the screen. You know what, Ryan? And, uh, I would yeah. love to help. I would How love would to figure that out. Cool that <laughs> so just like have it, to just kind of have it going in the background I and mean, we kind of you know while we're talking, that would be so cool. Couple we'll space programs, cool, uh, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: there, <laughs> there's like, okay. There's all
1: of websites out there that track it for you live. That's awesome. Right? But yeah, that's just a thought I had.
0: Dude, that's but, a great um, idea. Like, it's it's I wish, uh, it's fun. I like it. I wish anything I wish to make you like hard.
1: existentially
2: aware mm-hmm. of how insignificant <laughs> yeah. your life is. Well, on I this mean, planet, honestly, like things out there exist.
0: Well, it, it's like actually when you when you talk about space medicine to to people, I don't know. I go to the bar some, or I used to go to the bar when you could do that. And you would eventually, you know, people ask what you're interested in. If they're, you know, interested in actually having a conversation, they don't just talk about themselves. But, you know, when you talk about space medicine to them, uh, they're like, wow, like, that's crazy. But it's only for astronauts. And I'm just like, no, like, the stuff that we talked on today, like radiation, you know, how many times, uh, like, how many people do you know in your life who's had cancer? How many times do you know people who need a radiation treatment um, for any number of reasons? And it's like, this is um you know how many times have you had to put sunscreen on to go to the beach and like let's understand like skin disorders and all that kind of stuff so it's when, when we learn it in the extreme we we can better learn it um for for everyone every patient here on earth so i don't know that's just kind of my soapbox. box yeah
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, uh wrap up kind of remarks i'm just kind of sitting here wishing that we had more time to talk about like the other solutions, like you mentioned, uh, obviously we can select for the best candidates. We can do we can throw up some engineering controls like physical barriers and stuff. But in terms of uh, in terms of cancer, you can either resect or use ra- use radiation to kill the cancer. Um,
0: you I use radiation to kill the drug. cancer. <laughs> uh, right? It's like the Thanos meme. causes
2: cancer. Yeah, it's like...
0: <laughs> isn't it the Thanos uh, meme or something like that? Where it's like I use the whatever to kill the whatever. It's like the same thing. I don't know that one. Do you know what I'm talking about, yeah, though, I'm... right? No, No, okay. <laughs> no, on screen or something. right, all right, all right,
1: right. I'm just glad. I'm just, I, hope, I hope in the episode that you do corresponding to this, Kyle, that you can, uh, you can uh, cover a little bit more of the pharmacology... I think we only mentioned like iodine therapy for someone who has received like a sudden dose mm-hmm. and that's because there's a lot of iodine in your thyroid gland and and uh that's what it's something that's just susceptible highly susceptible tissue to mm-hmm. uh radio radioactive uh activity for that reason
2: mm-hmm. but yeah, uh in of terms of the iodine to protect it from absorbing any of the radioactive material. Yeah,
1: but in terms of like chronic radiation exposure, like I don't even know if there's a pharmacology solution to that out there. I don't don't actually know. Yeah, Um, I
0: actually, I don't know either. Low-dose iodine.
1: It's not an issue. (laughs) It's not an issue that you really deal with on Earth. No. Not anywhere close to the ballpark where you would have to deal to it or deal with it um, in terms of uh, the ISS or the... uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure NASA has looked into that as an option and
0: yeah, I'm, I'm maybe
1: sure there's looks- someone out there that we can find who would know the answer. But like, a, like someone who, for instance, is already a space, space medicine physician.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I can think of a couple people that I could, they could, I could uh, try and ask, like, what are the, what are the medical interventions for uh, prevention of radiation exposure, radiation dose or, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just... I, I, I can think of a couple of people that are, that know kind of the risk posture, um, like from this investigators workshop, there's a couple people that talked about, um, developing risk models. And I think one of those people would be really good for that. Yeah. We'll
1: leave, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, leave that for the episode, Vlad. And, mm-hmm. and just so you know, like the, uh, the orbit we're, which we've spent the last 90 minutes talking about, um, kyle has been doing kind of an episode that sort of takes all the things we discussed, maybe the highlight reel so to speak mm-hmm. and kind of lays it out again in a new in a new format and, and we'll we'll leave it we'll leave it to him to <laughs> maybe think trim, of, trim the uh, shave yeah yeah exactly and uh
0: but potentially it. even talk about some of the things that we didn't even get time to do because radiation yeah, seemed so to be such a Yeah, there's a couple more articles that I'll just, uh, I'll do a quick slideshow of them that I was interested (laughs) in bringing up, but um, I'm sure we'll come back to radiation as as a thing. Um, So there's an article here that was published uh, back in May of 2019 that looked at uh, MLH1 deficiency, which is um, one of the genes that encodes the mismatch mismatch repair system that deals with DNA, uh, you know, dimers and different kinds of changes to your DNA. So um, DNA repair, DNA repair, yeah. and um, and so this you know when you lose it, deficiency uh, increases the risk for this hematopoietic malignancy after simulated space radiation. So it's kind of so this interesting I was, article. Um, I don't know
1: what any of that meant. It's like a blood a blood disorder. <laughs> and like, yeah.
0: Like <laughs> so you know, just a blood-derived cancer. So like leukemia is like the the big one that they looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of different interesting, cool science that they went into they had a bunch of cells and rats and they dosed them and they did some really cool stuff that i'll be able to talk about the next thing um i'll do that one last actually because that was a lot uh, of tabs
1: it's got a lot of tabs (laughs) but we missed
0: a lot of things we did it's all good so much to talk about was definitely um, so there was a couple youtube um articles that were or youtube uh posters that were presented yeah, at I this conference. To talk
2: about was actually, when you're They're super about the, cool, right? Yeah, there's they were talking about um like I, I think it was Kermarin uh hydro, yeah. Like, yeah. Is that the stuff that you have
1: in turmeric powder?
0: I think so. It's an antioxidant. I mean, not uh, totally because is. They, can't, yeah. they
2: can't they can't it sucks because you it's oh, not my really goodness. bioavailable. So because it's it just be degrades back super back easily. But if you get attached to some kind of ever.
1: nanoparticle so, what well, all my nutrition friends talk about is you have to take your tumor mm-hmm. to the black pepper, it makes it more bioavailable. Is it though? Is
0: that was, uh,
2: that's,
0: you know it? that's a thing. Oh. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I'll start eating i eating One second, let me just put this up. It's hey, I, I wonder if there
1: would be some is, um, solutions. Solutions, at least an ancillary way to some of these radiation or oxidative, oxidative species um, problems. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean,
2: I was so confused at first. I'm like, it can't be that. It can't
0: it be true. Yeah. <laughs> look, look at this. This their test You
1: just need. Uh, when you have free electrons, if you consume things and absorb them easily, makes sense. It's just the key is that they have to enter your body <laughs> to work, and not just be right. Not just acid. You, I just subtract.
2: Can
0: we inject too much? <laughs> Straight <laughs> in my veins, dude. Give me that sweet yellow powder. <laughs> you can take Karn on the phone for that one. My internet isn't <laughs> at all. trying to do too many things. Talking. It, uh, Keep so it say, talking. Keep going. I just have a number
1: of things still that are worth mentioning that hopefully you can get to an episode, and otherwise, maybe anyone watching this can find those links in the, con- in the about section.
0: Yeah, I, just, I wanted to pull up the, uh, just the title slides so we could just talk about. Oh, for sure. That's helpful. But it's taking well, forever. I'm,
2: yeah, a moment here. I'm going mm-hmm. to give my closing um, remarks that seems like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs>
1: It's the immortal paradox. Well, <laughs> oh, Vlad, I'm I'm really glad that you were able to join us for this one. Um, but you, So you have rotations starting. Do you think there's a chance that you might be able to do another one of these in the future at some point? I think so, if I'm responsible. Yeah, I'll let you know uh,
2: my OB-GYN rotations, because that's essentially like a surgery rotation. So oh. a lot of time that's, um, that may have to devote to it, so...
1: Since I'm doing research, I think anyone watching can expect to see me back in the future uh, on with Kyle. I know Kyle has some other uh, individuals, too, that he hopes to have on at some point as well. And three three seems like a pretty awesome number. Like,
0: it's I, know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, I've, I have so much that I want to say that
1: it's, like, hard. Sometimes it's hard to just, like, sit and just, like, wait for my turn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm, sure. I'm sure that you guys feel like we won't just go on
1: for like a 10
0: minute yeah you yeah, guys just, uh, my thoughts't get to talk about any of my articles see <laughs> ah. <laughs> no, it was it was so nice to have you um ryan uh thank you so much again for coming back like you guys um i need someone to talk about this stuff with <laughs> mm-hmm. like i just like i can't do a podcast with just me i mean kind of but like, this is much more fun. Like, this is, like, you know, this is, like, the real show, in a way. Like, it's it's just a lot more fun to get people together who are excited um, about these, um, these really interesting questions in space medicine that, like, we, I don't know about you guys, but, like, by the, you know, in my lifetime, I want to see, you know, people live on the moon and live on mars right like that's that's just a thing that i want and so it's just like selfishly it's like let's figure these things out and like let's let's do that like let's have a cool exciting future let's do that right it's not just for you Kai. i mean everyone everyone
1: potentially benefits from what kind of things that we learn and the possibility of one day being able to survive a you know, should a calamity befall the Earth having more than one place that we're living. Yeah. It's uh it's it's all it's all in the long view, you know. Okay, the uh,
0: these aren't these aren't loading, but I can quickly show the titles. Um <laughs> so pretty much um awesome. did um one of the posters that was really cool was um uh the effects of Mars mission equivalent doses of SCP and uh uh, gamma or galactic cosmic radiation, radiation. I guess that's a, you know, <laughs> a double uh, on double. the on the GI system. So the GI system is the highest turnover oh. organ of the body. So I thought that was a really cool one. Sure. Um, all right, that one's not Anything loading. with anything that has like a high rate
1: of division <laughs> is sort of naturally predisposed to developing out? cancer. For instance. Um, so you, if you you unhinge that process, then you're in, for all, you know, a world of trouble.
2: Isolate the nervous system, transplant it into a cybernetic organism, mm-hmm. a transhuman fusion of, of nervous system <laughs> and you. robot. Yeah. You never have to deal with a high turnover cancer generation anymore. It's yeah, perfect. exactly.
0: We just need to be... Uh, problem
2: solved. Yeah.
0: Um but yeah, the last thing I kinda wanted to end on was this article that came out um November of last year, or of two years ago. Um where they NASA wanted to test this melanin based God, what the These f- is I mean, the art loading. Um <laughs> they wanted to make a melanin based polymer that could be used on spacesuits, on um on whatever, wow. um coding the International Space Station. And um, I've heard of this one. Yeah, that's so they wanted to, like, it, you know, melanin is the pigment in our skin. Mm-hmm. We all have it at various levels. Star um, Trek shenanigans
1: if I've ever heard it. Using, like, a biology solution to, like, an engineering problem. That's, like, their super reverse mm-hmm. of the norm right
2: there. I mean, it makes sense, right? Uh, biology has been evolving solutions to these problems that we have since... Um, yeah, millions that, of years yeah, ago, dude. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you really think engineers gonna figure out something better than life has with the time of hundreds I, of millions of years? I mean, Honestly,
0: I'm just happy that like as a biologist, I'm not useless in the space realm. You know, like I'm like I've always thought that engineers like had like the, they cornered the market, like they just like have all the space stuff. But um, now, like you know, since space medicine, it's like that I've learned about it. Um, it's like oh biologists doctors scientists that are like that do all this stuff like you don't have to be an engineer to do this and actually like even broader like you don't have to be any of this to be interested and to contribute in in some way like it's spaces for everyone it's not a zero-sum game like you know there is room for everyone to be interested in and in promoting like humanity forward so it's like it's of course it's really it's always really exciting
2: you bring up the idea of like engineers and then like uh, doctors being important for like space development. I mean thinking about it philosophically like when you go into space you're removing a lot of the things that create the identity of a human, right? You're removing your environment, you're removing your social interactions, you're removing your vision of nature. So in order, to come, in order to fill in what you, we have been living with since we were born, artists, authors, creators, musicians are gonna have to play an extremely important role as well into ensuring that the soul of the human or more importantly, kind of like the psyche of the person, you know, soul if you believe in that, the psyche as kind of like a substitute word. how is that going to remain strong in the face of a ceaseless endless what seems to be an infinite void like even then that's going to be critical this is space exploration and long-term space travel
0: yep yeah that's the you know from like that's like the uh psychological point of view but also like from a bike biological point of view like when all these things end up happening to us and you know uh all these different environmental changes um pretty much the yeah exactly (laughs) um so pretty much like yeah well it's like i mean I, i think this is a good good place to end but it's like when when you go to space like you know there's all these like environmental factors that kind of like you know will end up selecting for different you know for people to survive in this if we have like a sustained martian colony you know a, a sustained lunar colony like it's like uh, a set of birds that like are able like one or a pair of them make it over a mountain pass and they have a new different environment on the other side eventually they speciate like eventually they become like a different species so like from a like a large existential question from a more of a biology standpoint like we will like we will become like we will speciate and like we will become the aliens that like live on other planets you know and like like do we like will our psyche be able to like keep stay up with that will our culture endure and my guess is that just as like when you know people like went across the atlantic ocean and made you know or you know did a lot of bad things uh but essentially did some colonization efforts like we are not the same you know you know say you're a direct british descendant from someone who came over like you're not the same as someone who stayed in england like you're just like we are very different and so um it just just be very interesting to see if like we have like we unite in all of humanity as this kind of we are humans um, even though we're like kind of different subsects of humans and different planets and systems that we live on. But uh, I don't know, it'd just be, it'd be a crazy wild time. And the medical component is the basis for all of it. Like all of that exciting future um, with all of its ups and downs, like it's like the basis is both an engineering and a medical component. Yeah. Rest so. in our
1: ability to actually make it happen yeah. and not be a bunch of people with, you know, cancer and, and cardiovascular <laughs> disease. Yeah. On, on the it's broken <laughs> yes. All
0: right. Well, do you guys have any, any other, uh, final comments?
1: Uh, I don't personally have anything that I can like shout out. Like this is, this is my thing right now. I don't even really have a Twitter handle or anything that I would like to share. Vlad, do you have like a, like a place where you would want people to reach you if they happen to see this and have questions for you? Uh, yeah, I guess just an email. <laughs>
0: Are we going to even, you know, go, go pass
1: that for now and say, like, hey, this is Vlad from MSU, and yeah, this is uh, if, you direct questions, if you direct questions to Kyle's Twitter, then Kyle can get to Vlad or me. Yeah, um, that'll be perfect. Yeah. So you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> like the Twitter match. account is
0: uh, at Talk Space Med on Twitter. And uh, happy to field any any questions from anyone. Happy to have more discussion um over the past like couple weeks we've gotten up to uh just under about 200 followers so it's you know it's been getting you know it's people that's are awesome. tr- starting to follow it and it's like i don't know it's kind of cool <laughs> I mean, i'm here i'm, <laughs> I'm here mainly just for me because i
1: just like embracing my yeah. nerd but
0: yeah but the, the, uh, the fact that people are interested is pretty dang cool yeah the the metric for success is just doing them i that's what i keep on telling myself like just need to continue uh, to do uh, them. we'll, we'll okay. get we'll get better we'll get better and uh you know the 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 whole streaming thing and the whole uh you know recording like you know it takes me a lot of effort to do it but uh i think it's super fun and we'll we'll get better at it so oh for sure and uh um, just th- thanks so much for taking the time both of you and um you know out of your out of your schedules and uh super fun to hear your perspectives and Uh, hear the questions and things that you're you're interested in because as a space nerd there's nothing better than talking to other space nerds it's like the best thing
2: (laughs) i just have to say thank you so much for inviting me i'd love to be a part of this
0: yeah if you know any other medical students medical students um, happen to be people that usually don't know that space medicine is a discipline that you can go into Um, there's very few people that usually need someone or something to tell them that it exists. So um, you know, if if you're listening to this and you're a medical student, um, please just say, "Hey, there's this thing called space medicine, and look at this, look at this residency from Mayo Clinic, or look at this residency from UTMB. Like it's a real job that you can do, and um, it's it deals with you know all these crazy problems that we're t- we've talked about." So I think everyone at Nice
1: Medical School knows about it because I I just can't shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's that's great. I mean, you know, like you know, it's you know, you're passionate when you just, when you can't stop talking about it, and when you have to make a podcast to talk about it more. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, so. um, if you guys can outro yourself, and I'll pick it up after you guys are done. Yeah, I'm Ryan Penty, um,
1: Michigan State medical student currently doing a year of research on precision medicine and hopefully space, space related precision medicine topics uh, right now I'm mainly focusing on coronavirus but um, yeah interested in talking more about space medicine in the future learning more just like everyone else uh, finding ways to get more of the public uh, aware and interested in the topic and hopefully uh, you know happy to be doing this again in a month or
2: whenever we go next. And I'm glad. Student at MSU. Maybe someday going to be a cosmonaut. Who knows? <laughs> I love immersion and I love painting.
0: Thanks again. Damn, we need to talk about that next time. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I'm Kyle Anderson, your uh, medical student slash space nerd host. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is Talk Space Med. Orbit 2, space radiation, don't forget the sunscreen. Thank you so much, and see you next Orbit.